Section 94 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 125. London, December 24th, Old Style, 1750. Dear Friend, At length you are become a Parisian, and consequently must be addressed in French. You will also answer me in the same language, that I may be able to judge of the degree in which you possess the elegance, the delicacy, and the orthography of that language which is, in a manner, become the universal one of Europe. I am assured that you speak it well, but in that well there are gradations. He who in the provinces might be reckoned to speak correctly, would at Paris be looked upon as an ancient Gaul. In that country of mode even language is subservient to fashion, which varies almost as often as their clothes. The affected, the refined, and the neological or new fashionable style are at present too much at vogue at Paris. Know, observe, and occasionally converse, if you please, according to those different styles, but do not let your taste be infected by them. Wit, too, is there subservient to fashion, and actually, at Paris, one must have wit, even in despite of Minerva. Everybody runs after it, although if it does not come naturally and of itself, it can never be overtaken. But unfortunately for those who pursue, they seize upon what they take for wit, and endeavor to pass it for such upon others. This is, at best, the lot of Ixion, who embraced a cloud instead of the goddess he pursued. Fine sentiments, which never existed, false and unnatural thoughts, obscure and far-sought expressions, not only unintelligible, but which it is even impossible to decipher, or to guess at, are all the consequences of this error, and two-thirds of the new French books which now appear are made up of those ingredients. It is the new cookery of Parnassus, in which the still is employed instead of the pot and the spit, and where quintessences and extracts are chiefly used. N.B. The Attic Salt is now prescribed. You will now and then be obliged to eat of this new cookery, but do not suffer your taste to be corrupted by it. And when you in your turn are desirous of treating others, take the good old cookery of Louis the Fourteenth's reign for your rule. There were at that time admirable head cooks, such as Cornille, Boileau, Racine, and La Fontaine. Whatever they prepared was simple, wholesome, and solid. By laying aside all metaphors, do not suffer yourself to be dazzled by false brilliancy, by unnatural expressions, nor by those antitheses so much in fashion. As a protection against such innovations, have a recourse to your own good sense, and to the ancient authors. On the other hand, do not laugh at those who give in to such errors. You are as yet too young to act the critic, or to stand forth a severe avenger of the violated rights of good sense. Content yourself with not being perverted, but do not think of converting others. Let them quietly enjoy their errors in taste, as well as in religion. Within the course of the last century and a half, taste in France has, as well as that kingdom itself, undergone many vicissitudes. Under the reign of, I do not say Louis the Thirteenth, but of Cardinal de Richelieu, good taste first began to make its way. It was refined under that of Louis the Fourteenth, a great king, at least, if not a great man. Cornille was the restorer of true taste, and the founder of the French theatre, although rather inclined to the Italian Concetti and the Spanish Agudese. Witness those epigrams which he makes Chimene utter in the greatest excess of grief. Before his time, those kind of itinerant authors, called troubadours or romanciers, 
were a species of madman who attracted the admiration of fools. Toward the end of Cardinal de Richelieu's reign, and the beginning of Louis the Fourteenth's, the Temple of Taste was established at the Hotel of Rambouillet. But that taste was not judiciously refined. This Temple of Taste might more properly have been named a laboratory of wit, where good sense was put to the torture, in order to extract from it the most subtle essence. There it was that Voltaire labored hard and incessantly to create wit. At length, Boileau and Molière fixed the standard of true taste. In spite of the Scuderies, the Calpernides, etc., they defeated and put to flight Artemines, Juba, Orandates, and all those heroes of romance, who were, notwithstanding each of them, as good as a whole army. Those madmen then endeavored to obtain an asylum in libraries. This they could not accomplish, but were under a necessity of taking shelter in the chambers of some few ladies. I would have you read one volume of Cleopatra, and one of Clelia. It would otherwise be impossible to you to form any idea of the extravagances they contain. But God keep you from ever persevering to the twelfth. During almost the whole reign of Louis the Fourteenth, true taste remained in its purity, until it received some hurt, although undesignedly, from a very fine genius. I mean Monsieur de Fontenelle, who, with the greatest sense and the most solid learning, sacrificed rather too much to the graces, whose most favorite child and pupil he was. Admired with reason, others tried to imitate him, but unfortunately for us, the author of the Pastorals, of the History of Oracles, and of the French Theatre, found fewer imitators than the Chevalier d'Air did mimics. He has since been taken off by a thousand authors, but never really imitated by any one that I know of. At this time, the seat of true taste in France seems to me not well established. It exists but torn by factions. There is one party of petite matre, one of half-learned women, another of insipid authors whose works are verba et voces, et preturenihi, and, in short, a numerous and very fashionable party of writers, who, in a metaphysical jumble, introduce their false and subtle reasonings upon the movements and the sentiments of the soul, the heart, and the mind. Do not let yourself be overpowered by fashion, nor by particular sets of people with whom you may be connected. But try all the different coins before you receive any in payment. Let your own good sense and reason be judge of the value of each, and be persuaded that nothing can be beautiful unless true. Whatever brilliancy is not the result of the solidity and justness of a thought, it is but a false glare. The Italian saying upon a diamond is equally just with regard to thoughts. Quanto puis sodenza, tanto puis splendore. All this ought not to hinder you from conforming externally to the modes and tones of the different companies in which you may chance to be. With the petite matre speak epigrams, false sentiments, with frivolous women, and a mixture of all these together, with professed beaux esprits. I would have you do so, for at your age you ought not to claim at changing the tone of the company, but conform to it. Examine well, however, weigh all maturely within yourself, and do not mistake the tinsel of Tasso for the gold of Virgil. You will find at Paris good authors, and circles distinguished by the solidity of their reasoning. You will never hear trifling, affected, and far-sought conversations at Madame Monconcile, nor at the hotels of Matignon and Coigny, where she will introduce you. The President Montesquieu will not speak to you in the epigrammatic style. 
his book, The Spirit of the Laws, written in the vulgar tongue, will equally please and instruct you. Frequent the theatre whenever Corneille, Racine, and Moliere's pieces are played. They are according to nature and to truth. I do not mean by this to give an exclusion to several admirable modern plays, particularly Cini, imitated in English by Mr. Francis, in a play called Eugenia, replete with sentiments that are true, natural, and applicable to oneself. If you choose to know the characters of people now in fashion, read Cabillon the Younger, and Moreveau's works. The former is a most excellent painter. The latter has studied and knows the human heart, perhaps too well. Crébillon, Agrement du Cœur et de l'Esprit, is an excellent work in its kind. It will be of infinite amusement to you, and not totally useless. The Japanese history of Tanzar and Neodarn, by the same author, is an amiable extravagancy, interspersed with the most just reflections. In short, provided you do not mistake the objects of your attention, you will find matter at Paris to form a good and true taste. I shall let you remain at Paris without any person to direct your conduct. As I shall let you remain at Paris without any person to direct your conduct, I flatter myself that you will not make a bad use of the confidence I repose in you. I do not require that you should lead the life of a capuchin friar. Quite the contrary. I recommend pleasures to you, but I expect that they shall be the pleasures of a gentleman. Those add brilliancy to a young man's character, but debauchery vilifies and degrades it. I shall have very true and exact accounts of your conduct, and, according to the informations I receive, shall be more or less, or not at all, yours. Adieu. P.S. Do not omit writing to me once a week, and let your answer to this letter be in French. Conduct yourself as much as possible with the foreign ministers, which is properly travelling into different countries, without going from one place. Speak Italian to all the Italians, and German to all the Germans you meet, in order not to forget those two languages. I wish you, my dear friend, as many happy years as you deserve, and not one more. May you deserve a great number. End of section 94. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.